I want to jump into some teaching this morning, and I'm kind of excited about this. And it's funny how teachers and preachers, we get all excited about our own, the things we have to say. And so like, you're like, I'm not that excited. It doesn't sound that exciting to me. I'm, not, I'm kind of hoping this next you know, two hours goes pretty quickly, but um, it will, trust me. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited about this, and I'm glad that you've uh, joined us today. And, and uh, the consensus among uh, church leaders and uh, church growth people and people who uh, teach on a regular basis that you never start a teaching series in the summertime, and um, I just decided that it's, I want to teach this series, and so I want to dive in today. And so uh, I'm glad you're here to be a part of it. Uh, whether you're here all the time or, you know, you have your own parking space and you have your own seat that you reserve or whether you've been coming for a few weeks and we're just getting to know you or whether you're, this is your first time here, um, I hope that this morning will be helpful and that uh, it's hopeful and regardless of, of uh, where you find yourself because we're going to talk about getting our bearings spiritually. Um, and I, I, I wonder, have you ever been lost, like physically lost? Oh. You ever, anybody ever been lost? I'm not going to ask for details, but I'm just, wow, this is, this is worse than I thought. Okay. You ever been out in the woods, maybe hunting or whatever else it is you do in the woods? Um, I've never been in the woods myself, but, and you were, you were out there um, acting all cool and everything with your buddies and uh, so that nobody would know that you actually had no idea where you were leading them and you, were, you knew you were lost, you just didn't let anyone else know. Uh, or maybe you've been out in a body of water and you just couldn't find the landmarks to lead you back to the dock or to the, the boat ramp. Because once you get out in a body of water, th- everything kind of all looks the same. And some of you are like, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and again, you'd never let on that you were, had no idea where you were or where you're going, but you just kind of, uh, but you knew that you had no idea. Ever visited a city for the first time? And I don't know you, but I, I do a lot better with my sense of direction in a new place if I've actually driven there. Uh, but when I am a passenger and I'm not paying attention, or when I, it's worse when I fly in. You know when you fly into a city for the first time and then you have to take a train to go get your bags and then you have to take a shuttle to go get your car and then you pull out of the parking garage at the car rental place and, you have no, and by now it, it's dark because it takes 12 hours to do all that and you have no idea what, what direction's what. You ever been there? Um, and you're like, do I have a GPS? So let's, let's just separate. Uh, if you've, uh, I don't know, yeah. If you've ever been lost, and most of us have been lost on some level, somewhere along the way, it's not just a matter of knowing where you're going. It starts with knowing where you are. And that's why, if you remember the pre-GPS days, if you're on a road trip, uh, the map was useless if you didn't know where you were. Do you remember um, at uh, you, those, those pre-GPS days especially, you'd stop at an interstate uh, service center? And you'd go in, or you'd run in first and take care of your business, and you'd come out and you'd look at the, uh, at the, the big map they had on the wall. They always had these big maps with, a, with an arrow or a dot, right, that said, you are here, and you're like, cool, I'm somewhere. And uh, I remember driving through New Mexico one time, back in the late 80s, and we were on a family trip. And again, I was a passenger, so I wasn't really paying attention to anything. Um, and we were on a family trip from Colorado on our way back home to Texas, where we were living at the time. And, and New Mexico, if you've never been there, seems like a nice place to visit and all. <laughs> Until you're driving through it, you know, from west to east, and it just never ends. Because it's like, 
we, we were just from, like from Albuquerque to, to Amarillo, the, the scenery is just all the same. It's all just brown, uh, flat, desert, cactus, and tumbleweed. And that's pretty much it. And I remember stopping at a rest area, and I was just so excited to get out of the car and look at the big map to find that You Are Here sticker, because I knew we were in the middle of, of nowhere. I just wanted to know where the middle of nowhere was. So that was kind of reassuring for me. And I don't know about you, but I love visiting big cities. Do any of you love visiting big cities? Well, I could have guessed that, too. I love visiting big cities. And uh, I think it's because I grew up in the country. So our family vacations were always to big cities, to population centers. And that started in me when we were kids. And it's continued for me. I still enjoy that. I remember the first time we went on a family trip to Toronto. Um, that was my first time on a subway. I, was, I think I was 13. And the Toronto subway, uh, there's a picture, of, that's the map of the Toronto subway, pretty straightforward. If you've ever ridden a subway anywhere, you know, that's about as simple as it gets. Um, I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I still love subways. I, I'm sure it would lose its charm if I had to take one every day. But for a couple of days on vacation, I love that. In the mid-90s, I led a group of teens on a mission trip to uh, Santiago, Chile. And the Santiago subway is a little more, little more involved and a little more going on there. I honestly couldn't tell you a thing about the subway system in Santiago, but I just because I just followed our guide. Uh, subways are especially tricky to navigate. I mean, they're they're tricky enough, but when all the signage is in a language you don't understand, then it's kind of it's kind of yeah, it's a different deal. And then over our nearly thirty years in Maine, uh, like you, I've gotten to know my way around the T in Boston, and you know that's the way to to, to get around in the city. Um, as at least, at least you know how to get off at Kenmore Station, because I know why you're going to Boston. So it, it's a little more complex than, than even the Santiago uh, subway system. Um, we usually park in Wonderland and take the blue line into Government Center, and you can kind of get anywhere you want to go from there. Um, over several visits to Washington, D.C., I got really comfortable with the Washington Metro. It's, it's one of the most user-friendly tourist-friendly subway experiences in the country. I especially love the Smithsonian, the Smithsonian uh, if you actually show me the, uh, show me the Washington Metro, I think I have it there for you, there you go. And uh, again, kind of simplified, really easy to navigate, but my favorite stop is at the Smithsonian uh, on the yellow line, and this is, you come up to the surface outside, and this is what you see when you come up, next picture, this is where you are, you're right in the middle of the mall with all the Smithsonian museums all around you when you come to the surface, I love that. Then, of course, there's, let's just up the ante a little bit, there's the New York City subway. I don't know how many of you have ever used the New York City subway. Um, just wow, right? Like, it's like, been there. That's, that's just Manhattan. That's just lower Manhattan, okay? Because I couldn't find a map of the whole system, and it wouldn't look like anything on the screen anyway. Um, I've been there, done that, navigated the family from Queens to Manhattan to the Bronx, and we got back to Queens all on the same day. So that was, uh, I thought, for a pretty successful trip. Uh, actually, zoom in a little bit, Corey. I think it's, not, yeah, that, that's just zoomed in on lower Manhattan. It's like, what is happening there? I've never visited Japan. I don't know if some of you probably have. Um, I really have no desire to visit Tokyo because this is the Tokyo subway, and uh, I don't know what's happening there. I would just need a, probably a helicopter to come airlift me out of there somewhere. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um, I can uh, drive into the city. I can drive to the station where I want to get on the train. Got a pretty good uh, grasp on where I am. But the moment that you, I go underground, 
especially if we're changing trains along the way, by the time we get off the train and we ride the escalator to street level, I'm usually completely turned around. If it's during the day, it takes a minute to orient myself, uh, let me find the sign, I can kind of figure that out, but if it's after dark, it's completely disorienting. Oh, even in shopping malls. Now, I'm disoriented in shopping malls for other reasons, but uh, they have the directories at all the major entrances, right? You've got the floor plan there with a little sticker, you are here. And every year when I visit the Bangor Mall, <laughs> once a year, <laughs> I don't even know. I stop at the directory and get the lay of the land. No, I don't, not really. <laughs> that was, you get it. I want, I want to find where the newest vacant store is. Um, I love Amazon, that's all I'm saying. I went to great lengths to make this illustrated point here. Um, sometimes you might know where your destination is. You might even have a good idea how to get there but you don't honestly know where you are. And this is often true for us spiritually. Sometimes you get to a place where you're like, I don't really know where I'm at. If you've ever been stuck spiritually, my guess is you have. If you're more than three days into this journey of walking with Jesus, you've probably experienced what it is to be stuck spiritually. You might be there right now. You know, and you're, you're, you're actually kind of feeling bad about it because you're trying to grow, but you're just stuck. You've been trying to move forward, and you've been trying to figure it out. You've been trying to get closer to God, and you've been trying to go deeper, but you feel like you're stuck. Maybe you're at a place where you're saying, I would, I would love to believe in God. I'm kind of on the outside looking in here. I would love to have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. I would love to be all right with all of this like some of you are, but I just don't know how. And a lot of times people would say, well, you just need to do this, and you need to read that, and then you need to believe this, and then you need to accept that, and you'll be good. And you're like, I want to do that, but I don't know how, and I've been coming, and I've been listening, and I've been reading, and I've been talking, but I don't know how to move forward. I just feel stuck. So the question I want to get started with today as we open the series is simply this, is where you are where you want to be is where you are where you want to be. Is where you are spiritually, is where you are in terms of your relationship with God, is it where you want to be? Because for some of us, the answer would be, well, no, not really. I thought I would have grown more by now. I thought I would have transitioned my worldview by now. I thought I would have grown my character more. I thought God would be doing more in my life. I thought I would be more like him. I thought I would feel closer to him. I thought I would feel better about where I am spiritually by now. So where I am is not really where I want to be. And maybe you've been on your faith journey uh, for a while, and it seems that the more questions you ask, the more distant you feel from God. And you want to believe, and, and you're curious, but you've been stuck at square one for a long time. And you're like, I would love to believe, and I, would, I, would, I, I know what, what you all have is a real deal, and I would like that for myself, and I just don't know how to get there, and I don't know how to get moving in that direction, and I really feel stuck. So where you are definitely is not where you want to be. Well, sometimes in the same way that when we're lost and we're overwhelmed and with our surroundings and we've lost our bearings uh, to the point that we don't even know where we are, we have to find that you are here sticker on the map. In the same way, sometimes the next step in getting to where we want to be is figuring out where you are. That's what these next few messages uh, is going to be all about. 
uh, for me. Um, it's like, okay, where are you? And over the next few Sundays, we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus, and we're going to stay in the same teaching for three or four sessions, and we're going to dive deep into this teaching because Jesus diagnoses three places where people get stuck. And I've probably been stuck in most of them at some point, and maybe you have too, and maybe you'll be able to identify with this. And Jesus offers us an explanation that I think can be tremendously helpful. So if you've ever felt stuck spiritually or you feel stuck right now, I think there's, I think there's good news on the way for you because over the next few weeks, we're going to discover exactly where you are, and I think you're going to have the tools that you need to identify exactly where you are spiritually. And once you understand that, then you're like, oh, yeah, that's, so that's where I am. That's why I'm stuck. Now I know why I'm here, and then we can move forward to the next place. Now, the next thing that's going to guide us over the, the, or the thing that's going to guide us over the next few weeks is the Bible. And that's what we tend to lean into here in this setting. My question for you is this, because I think some of you might be frustrated with the Bible. Ever been frustrated with your reading of the Bible? Anybody? Mm, yeah, you're thinking about it, and you're like, yeah, can I say that? Can I acknowledge that? Can I admit that in church? What'll happen? Uh, you know, when you're, with your experience of trying to read the Bible and trying to apply the Bible and understand it, and you get frustrated because, you know, you're like, well, I've read it, and I read it all the time, and I try to read it, like, every day, and I get frustrated because a lot of it that I just don't understand, and I don't know how to apply it, and I don't know what the, what the point is to me, and it seems to be promising something, but a lot of those promises never seem to get fulfilled. What's God waiting for? What about me? And I understand all that, and I've read the Bible all my life, and I grew up in a home where we were encouraged to read the Bible, and I grew up in a Christian school where we are given time every day to read our Bible, and I've been on this road now for over 40 years, and I'm pretty familiar with the Bible, but even some of the passages that I'm very familiar with can still prove to be very frustrating for me. And this passage that we're going to look at today and spend some time in over the next three or four weeks is one of those passages that for me has been pretty frustrating. And I've heard all kinds of sermons and I've read all kinds of commentary and interpretation and what it's supposed to mean and the, what the application should be. And, and those things usually just leave me more frustrated. And I've tried to teach on this story in the past, but only in small group settings. I've never taught on this on a Sunday morning. So this is a pretty special day, and you can tell your friends about it. But I think it's, uh, I think it's frustrated me because it's just a hard one for me to get my head around. And sometimes I, for, sometimes I forget who uh, Jesus' audience was. And so I wonder, you know, Jesus, why would you even say that? Why would you tell this story? Why would you choose to make your point this way? So I've been uh, researching this story, uh, reading it, uh, listening to what others have to say about it, and I think I've gained a little understanding, at least enough to where I think it's time for me to dive into this. Something we need to keep in mind um, is that even though the Bible uh, isn't welcome in many parts of our culture, especially when it comes to, you know, like, say, government institutions, the Bible is still such a part of our culture that even if you haven't read the Bible, you have some opinions and you've been influenced by the Bible. Uh, because you grew up in this Western culture, and, and you've heard concepts and even verses like, you've, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you look at that, and you're like, oh, that's nice. That sounds like something my grandmother would say. That makes me feel good. I like that. Or maybe you've heard, do unto others as you have them do unto you. And you're like, I like that too. That's a good one. I'm going to write that down. That's a good I'm going to put that right on my bumper sticker. You know, I'm going to adopt that one. Or maybe you... Maybe you didn't even know it was from, you're like, all right now, you're like, that was from the Bible? I had no idea. Jesus said that. But I'm wondering, have you ever really read the Bible? Because if you really read the Bible, you're going to come across some stuff that's going to shock you. 
Sometimes it's going to surprise you. I mean, you read the prophets. Read Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. There's some stuff in there that is just shocking. And it surprises us. And, and, and you're going to read it and you're going to say, well, I can't believe that's actually in the Bible. Why did God include that? Well, this parable that we're going to read is a parable of Jesus that has bothered me for a long time. It's frustrated me because right about the time I think I understand what it's about, then I realize, wait, there's more to it than that. And uh, so sometimes I think it's a good thing when your time in the Scripture leaves you uh, frustrated or when it bothers you because it means that it's registered with you. And it's probably going to have some impact on you. And you're not going to just brush it aside. You're going to go back to it over and over again until you get the clarity that you want. So I hope that's where we're able to go over these next few weeks together in this passage. And honestly, today, just so you know, maybe more perplexing than it is helpful because we're just going to lay some groundwork for the next few weeks. So over the next three parts of the series, I hope that it's, as a package, it's helpful. Here's the story. We're in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bible or if you have, you're using the Bible app, if you use the Bible app, you can find the events and you'll find today's event there with all the scripture that you need today. In Matthew chapter 13, if you have your Bible and you want to open it up, this is what uh, we know as the parable of the sower. How many of you have ever heard of the parable of the sower? I wonder how many people would be willing to authoritatively uh, tell us what that means. Because <laughs> that's one of those, well, we're going to get into that. Let's read. Verse 1. Later the same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. You're like, ah, that sounds nice. A large crowd soon gathered around him like, darn it. So he got into a boat. You're like... Okay, it sounds like a good plan. Let's get in the boat and get out of here. And he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. This was very typical for Jesus and for other rabbis uh, to sit and teach. In our culture, we stand and teach. Um, I think maybe today we could switch that. I'm going to sit and you stand. You can stand anytime you want, um, but just go to that. Um, So in this culture, the the rabbis sat and taught. And they would often teach from a boat. Uh, just push off a little, especially if the, if the shore offered any kind of a slope where the people could sit and it became like this amphitheater with some built-in acoustic treatment because their PA systems weren't that effective in these days. They were back in the days when everyone got their sound equipment from Radio Shack, so it was not great stuff, so they had to make do with what they had. So anyway, verse 3. He told them many stories in the form of parables. Now, parables sometimes make things clearer uh, for the listener, for a specific audience, and sometimes they simply make things less clear. I think this is the situation here. Listen, he says, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath. Now, if you're reading the Bible and you're really paying attention, you're stopping right there and you're thinking, wait a minute, why would you scatter seed on a footpath? I mean, how careless, I mean, that's a waste. It's not going to grow. You're not going to do that. He says, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I threw seed all over the driveway. I can't figure out why I don't have any beans this year. I don't know what's going on, you know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, of course, if you're going to throw them on the path, they're not going to grow. So he's scattering seeds on a footpath, and it says it was, a, it was a farmer, so he knew what he was doing. And look, surprise, surprise. The birds came and ate them. And other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. Now, this is very typical of some places in that area of Palestine where uh, we'll talk about that more next time. This is very typical. Look what happened. The seed sprouted quickly because the, the soil was shallow. Verse 6. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil 
and produced a crop that was 60, 30, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he says this, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I love that approach to teaching. For those of you who are teachers, it's like, just tell your student, just understand this. Just, just understand it. It would be so much more helpful if you would just understand. Okay? You're good? You understand? Okay, moving on. If you have ears to hear, you should listen and understand. The story wouldn't be that difficult if it stopped right there, actually, because we could draw our own conclusions. And this is what we tend to do. We tend to stop right there and draw our own conclusions. But the story doesn't end here. I love it when it's kind of open-ended. We draw our own conclusions. We can move on. and We can kind of adapt it to our own life situation and think, there, that, that's great. That's super helpful, and uh, I might apply that someday, and we move on. But after telling the story, Jesus didn't necessarily make it better, and he certainly didn't make it any clearer. So his disciples, they're like you and me. They're like, okay, that was a great story. Uh, what does that, what is the point? Do you know what the point I didn't get it. Did you get it? No, I don't know. I'm not a farmer. I don't get it. Next, so next verse, verse 10. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to people? They're like, why do you use these stories? Why can't you just say, okay, here's what you need to know. Here are the principles. Here are the five principles, one through five. Get out your slate or whatever it is you're using, and we'll, uh, we'll take some notes here. Verse 11, Jesus says, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. It's like, okay, but Jesus, you're making this worse. You know, this isn't, this isn't helping. Uh, you know, when you say this kind of stuff, people get confused. You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That's why I use parables. It's like, oh, that's so helpful. It's like his PR, and his PR team and his marketing consultants. They're like, Jesus, don't say stuff like that. This is, this is not good. This is not helpful. It doesn't help your brand at all. This is not making the message clear. In fact, it's probably driving some people away because they have no idea what you're talking about, and frankly, neither do we. It seems like you're making it difficult for people to understand. And he continues, verse 13. For they look, and they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed eyes, like some people in this room. So their eyes cannot see. Oh, hi. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. It's like, what? What is he? Where is he? Where is he going now? Oh, keep reading. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Verse 18. Finally, now listen to the explanation of the parable of the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Verse 20, the seed in the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Verse 22, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out, listen, by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. 
Verse 23, the seed that fell on good soil represents all of us, of course, those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as have been planted. So that's the parable of the sower. And the question is, how do we interpret this? How do we make sense of what Jesus is teaching and what the application is for us? Well, there are at least five conclusions or observations that I've come up with, and they are these. Number one, stupid people don't get in. Number two, shallow people are toast. Number three, sinful people get smoked. Number four, uh, good people win. And number five, there's no hope for us. The end. Thanks for coming to church today. Have a great week. How do you make sense? I hope you didn't write any of that down. Todd said this. How do you really make sense of this? I'd like to think it's a parable for preachers and teachers. And it's saying, go out and do your thing, uh, but then understand that you, they can't all be home runs. So, like, not every sermon is going to be a home run. So, you know, do your best, but, but sometimes it's going to fall in hard soil. And it's just a matter of time before some people, you know, they leave your church and, and they get, they, so don't blame yourself because, you know, we tend to get discouraged on Sunday night and Monday morning because we're thinking, well, that was awesome. That, that was definitely a home run. That was probably a grand slam. I mean, that, that, then you realize later on, that, like by Tuesday, that you're the only person who thought that. You know, so, so maybe it's not for preachers. So what do we do with this for real? What if it's kind of like the you are here thing? It's just showing you where you are. Because here's what I said earlier, that I think I can identify with all these different types of soil at different times in my life. And I don't know about you, but maybe different days of the week. Maybe since last Sunday, we can identify with all four. And it doesn't mean that once we identify where we are, it doesn't mean that we have to stay there forever. It just means that's where you are. So maybe right now your heart is hard. Maybe right now you're worried. Maybe right now you're moving toward a place of surrender. So Jesus talked about, he talked about three soil conditions, and the first two are really like two versions of the same thing. So he talked about the hard path, and he talked about the shallow, rocky soil, because it wasn't unusual to find that kind of, uh, that just below the surface, uh, under this very thin layer of what looked like good soil, was a layer of rock, like ledge, like uh, hard, rocky stuff. He talked about weeds, weeds that grow up and choke out the crop. And then he talked about this third kind of soil, the good soil, that's good for growing a crop. And we can look at it this way, and we're, and we're, we're just going to touch on this today, and then we'll dig into it a little deeper over the next few weeks. But you know that if you have uh, rocky soil, you're not going to have a very good crop, right? Uh, the rocks represent hard-heartedness. And if you're hard-hearted, it's like you're trying to plant God's word and God's activity in the heart that's just not very open. It's not very receptive. Then sometimes, yeah, you make a faith decision, and the, the, but worry crowds it out. You're like, uh, yeah, I'm just going to trust God on this one, and that's my decision. I'm trusting God on it. And then six hours later, you're worrying about it again. Then you've got the good soil, and there's definitely good soil in there, you know. Uh, you got, but you've got all these weeds, you know. It's like, I mean, I have the best of intentions. My motives are pure and all that, but worry just chokes everything else out. And I, I don't really know, I'm not much of a worrier, and some people think it's because they don't care, they might be onto something, but I'm, not, I'm just not really a worrier, but I know some of you are worries, because you worry, 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 and you're worried about how long I'm going to talk today, and just quite a while, so chill out. Uh, and you're, not really, and you're, you don't believe me, so uh, you're anxious, and you watch too much news, and you fe- you're fearful, and, and Jesus is saying here that that anxiety and worry uh, can choke out our faith. You're like, well, I can't really help that. I, I can't help it. I just worry. It's, how I, it's, my, it's in my DNA. Like, my mother was worried. My grandmother was worried. I'm just a worry. It's how it is. And I, I think Jesus is saying, well, maybe if you'll use this as a map, 
maybe we'll understand that you're here and that you don't have to be here forever. Then he describes a good soil with no rocks, no weeds. It's basically a surrendered life. Wouldn't we like to know how, how do we get to a place, God, you know, where your work in my life produces a crop that's 30, 60, 100 times what you planted? How do I get there? So, the, so let's just give us, yeah, here's the summary. Hard path is the hard-hearted. The weeds represent worry, and good soil means surrender. So what do you do with this? Well, if you're stuck spiritually, I think there's good news in this. The good news is simply this, that where you are today doesn't need to be where you are tomorrow. Let's just let that sink in. Because some of you, you've made great progress in your life. You've made progress in your career. You've made progress in your finances and in your accumulation of stuff and in your list of experiences that you wanted to have. And you've made progress in so many areas of your life. But you, honestly, you feel stuck spiritually. You've been there for a while now. And you're like, well, where I am today kind of feels an awful lot like where I was a year ago. And, and you're hanging in there, you know, because you don't want to give up on this deal. And, and you're trying to believe and you're trying to get where you want to be. But you just can't get unstuck. Here's the good news in the story, that where you are today doesn't need to be where you are tomorrow. And the beauty of this parable is that it isn't telling us where we should be so much as it's showing us where we are. It's kind of like a self-awareness meter. So today, in the next few minutes that we have left, I want to share with you, the, uh, I think, one of the keys that Jesus gives us as to how to get from where you are to where you want to be. And in the next few weeks, we're going to really... Dig in on where you are. So when we reread the parable, I mean, it's all over the text, but sometimes it's easy to miss this. It's like Jesus is saying to us, you want to get unstuck? You want to know how to find your bearings? You want to know where you really are? You want to know how you can get from where you are to where you want to be? I'll show you how, and I'll show you how to get unstuck, and I'll show you how to identify where you are and how to make progress. So let's go back. I'm going to actually back up here. We're going to read a few of these verses that I just kind of blitzed through, and we're going to Settle in here for a few minutes. So he finishes the parable in verse 9 where he says, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Did I give you that one, Corey? Thank you. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And his disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to people? It's like, we're confused. That wasn't all that helpful. Why do you do that? Jesus, that's just weird. And he replied in verse 11, he says, You're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. In other words, there's a sifting there's kind of a sorting out that's happening. He says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. They will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. Verse 13, he says, that's why I use parables. For they look, but they don't really see, and they hear, but they don't really listen or understand. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. So I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. And he says this, verse 18, so listen to the explanation of the parable about the, the farmer planting seeds. Let's see if it's any clearer second time around. Here's a, there's a common thread running through this explanation. And I think it's a key to spiritual growth. So I want to kind of just lay this out here today as we launch into the next three or four weeks. If I had to pick a word, I would, I would probably pick the word Listen. See how many times the word listen and hear show up in these verses? It's a, it's a discipline that we would all benefit from. 
if we would learn to, to listen a lot more than we talk. Now, this word isn't in the parable, but I think it describes a dynamic that Jesus is rewarding, and it comes down to this. The key, the key for spiritual growth, the key for getting unstuck spiritually and moving forward is teachability. Teachability produces spiritual growth, and without it, you are stuck. So the question, I think, that'll unlock where you are and where you want to go is, are you open to being taught? Are you open to being taught by Jesus? Are you open? Are you teachable? Are you listening? Or are you the one always doing all the talking in that relationship because you already know everything you need to know? And maybe depending on how self-aware you are, and how, you know, self-awareness is huge when it comes to your spiritual growth because uh, I don't think you can get where you want to be until you really know where you are. And you may struggle to really identify where you land when it comes to teachability. So how teachable are you? So I want to give you a couple indicators kind of three signs that I think point to whether you're teachable or not. And uh, so I'm going to give you three signs that maybe you're not teachable. So sign number one that you're not teachable is that you rarely read the Bible. Oh, you're a fan of the Bible. You're a big fan. You think, you know, the Ten Commandments should probably be plastered everywhere. We can find some blank wall space. That'd be great. I'm all for it. But when did you actually last read the Bible? Maybe you just don't read it. Maybe you've got a million reasons why you don't read the Bible. And if you're a big hang-up, because this is a big hang-up for a lot of people, is that you don't understand what it's saying. You don't understand the language. It's got all those these and thous and all that stuff in it. Really? My Bible doesn't. Because the, the good news is that there are lots of translations today with modern language that we can understand. And, and so if we can begin to understand the language, you have a better chance of understanding the application. Oh, and you can get all of it for free. 20 years ago when I was... I've been on this for a long time, when I would say to people, you need to get a Bible that you will actually read. It's great that you got a new Bible, but get one that you will actually read and that you can understand. People would have, 20 years ago, people had to go to a store and spend 20 bucks on a Bible. Imagine that. If you haven't already done this, and I don't, I don't, if you haven't done this, I don't know what you're waiting for if, you're, if you've got a smartphone in your hand. Because right now you can take out your phone as if you don't have it out already. I know. I see the glow on your face. I can tell. You want to turn the brightness down. Uh, <laughs> you, you've got it out. So if you haven't already, how many, I'm not going to ask, but if you haven't already downloaded the Bible app, open the app store on your phone, open Google Play, and download, search Bible, and download the one that looks like this. It's going to be the first one after the paid position. It's the one that it has that logo. It's by Life Church, and it's called Version. In a matter of seconds, before I probably finish this paragraph, you will have access to just about every translation that's ever been done, and it's free, and it's on your phone, and it, which means it's in your hand all the time. I'm curious, because I know a lot of you use the Bible app. How many of you have read way more of the Bible since you downloaded the Bible app onto a device? You've read more. That's, that's pretty cool. How many of you have ever used one of the Bible app's uh, reading plans? That's cool. So for those of you who haven't, I would encourage you, number one, to embrace technology because smartphones are not new technology. They've been around long enough now that our kids don't know what it is not to have them. You know? So it's like when I have to give tutorials on email when I started using email 25 years ago. So come on, let's, let's embrace some technology. It's cool. Don't be afraid of it. Um, anything I think that can, that can put the Word of God into more people's hands and hearts, uh, we should embrace that. 
So um, how many of you are using the, the Bible app event for today's service? I'm kind of curious. That's cool. Awesome. So see, some of you already know where this is going because you've seen a couple points that I kind of give away, a little inside information. Did you know that the Protestant Reformation, have you ever heard of the Protestant Reformation? Um, you're here today because of the Protestant Reformation, by the way. And it was made possible because for the first time ever, thanks to this new technology called the printing press, and you're like, Haha, that's not new technology. It was then, and some people were freaked out about it. Some people saw it as a, a tool of Satan because all the danger that could happen with this thing. But for the first time ever, common people could get access to the Bible. Did you know before that, people like you and me would not have access to the Bible? Well, maybe I would, but you'd have to make an appointment with me to, for me to read it to you. It's so weird. I'm convinced that more Christians aren't growing. Or maybe even the reason you're stuck spiritually is because you aren't reading your Bible. So I know it sounds really basic and like, really, I had to come here and listen to all this for you to get to that point. That's your big, deep point. That's my point number one, sign that you're not teachable, is that maybe you're not actually reading your Bible. Now, sign number two that you may not be teachable is that you're more interested in your own opinion than God's. It's like, I'm just more interested in what I think than what God thinks. So why would I listen to that person or to him or to her or read that book they gave me or whatever. I mean, you know, God might want to speak to me through him or her or through them, but I'd rather not hear that right now. Or maybe you're actually reading the Bible. Maybe you've taken us up on the challenge and you're reading the Bible and you're like, wow, I actually understood that for the first time. Don't agree with it. Don't intend to apply it. Not going to do that. No, those standards are ridiculous. Those sexual standards, that service to others thing, submitting myself to others, mutual submission, giving my stuff away, giving from my abundance. I'm an American. Come on, pursuit of happiness. And now you want me to give it away? So we just set it aside. We understand it clearly. We're just not applying it. Maybe a prayer for you, because you're so consumed with your own opinion. Maybe prayer for you is never you sitting in silence. It's never, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? God, give me wisdom. Show me what to do. Show me how to honor you best in this circumstance. Prayer for you is like, hey, God, good to see you this morning. Here's what I got for you to do today. Here's my list. If you could do all this stuff, that'd be great. Because you're just more interested in your own opinion than you are in what God has to say. Third sign that you're not teachable is that you're defensive and not open to input. And as soon as people say to you, well, have you tried? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't try. That didn't work. Well, you know, the Bible teaches, well, let me give you five reasons why I don't read the Bible and why I think it's obsolete. Well, have you thought about getting connected with some? No, no, I'm not doing the small group thing. Did that for a while. The whole small group accountability, men's frat, sitting around tables, bunch of weirdos. No, thank you. Maybe that's been true of you all your life. Maybe, maybe you knew better than your fifth grade teacher. You knew better than your mom. You knew better than your dad. Now you're 25, 35, 45 years old, and you still know better than anyone else, and you're just not open, and you're not teachable. Jesus is saying that teachable people grow, and people who are not teachable don't. They get stuck. So what's the other side of that look like? How do you know if you're teachable? Well, number one, want to guess? You're open to the Bible. Oh, and by the way, it's possible to question things that you read and that you come across and ask hard questions and still be open to what the Bible has to say, what God has to say to you through his word. Sign number two is that you're teachable is that you actively seek mentoring. 
that you don't just surround yourself with people who are going to say what you want to hear, but people who can help you grow spiritually, who can help you grow relationally, help you grow emotionally. You're actually looking for people and engaged with people who can help you develop and grow in your life, and you're open to other people's influence. That's where listening comes in. Oh, third sign that you're teachable is that you accept responsibility. You accept that nobody else is responsible for my spiritual growth except me. I'm responsible for my spiritual growth. Your story may be that you floated from church to church to church and you left that church because you didn't grow and you left that other church because you weren't getting fed and you didn't grow and you're thinking about leaving this church, especially after today because you're like, you aren't growing. Wait a minute. So what's the common denominator in all that? See, when, when you take responsibility and you say, okay, I'm responsible. I'm responsible for my spiritual growth. I'm responsible for my spiritual maturity. Others can help. The church is a massive help to me. A small group would really help. I can worship with other believers, and that's a positive, helpful experience. But ultimately, you accept responsibility, and you accept input from other people. So the question is, are you teachable? In order to be teachable, you have to be vulnerable at times. So if you're afraid of being embarrassed in front of God, because you wouldn't want him to know the truth about you, <laughs> I mean, seriously, just read the Gospels. And if you start with Matthew, you're no further than chapter 13 before you realize the disciples haven't got this figured out. They didn't get it right. This is, this is Jesus' inner circle. They had access to Jesus all the time, and they didn't get it right, and they didn't understand some things that came right from Jesus' mouth. It's like the time they're like, okay, we're supposed to go out and heal some people. Let's go out. Let's go do this. Let's go heal some people now. And they're like, well, this doesn't work. We missed something. What's, let's go back to Jesus because, you know, like, hey, Jesus, we don't know what's going on here. We tried to heal this guy, and we don't know what we're doing. And that was pretty much their story, that they didn't know what they were doing. But believe it or not, Jesus can work with that. He can work with vulnerability. So are you teachable? Because if you're teachable, if you're open to the Bible, If you seek mentoring and input, if you accept responsibility, where you are today won't be where you are in the future. It just won't be. Because you'll get unstuck. Where you are today doesn't need to be where you are tomorrow. When we come back next time and I'm at the podium uh, in a couple weeks, um, we're going to look a little further into this teaching. I encourage you to read Matthew 13, read this parable a few times, and then read Jesus' explanation afterwards. Um, We're going to try to figure out what creates a hard heart. How do we know if our heart is hard? That may not even characterize you all the time, but maybe in certain situations that's certainly true of you. Maybe your heart is, is open and vulnerable to certain people, but not to others. Oh, and then what about worry? What is worry's role in all this? What's that have to do with it? We'll look at that, and we'll talk about, is it possible to get past that? And what's at stake? Then we're going to look at this good soil thing, and we're going to try to figure out if it's ultimately about surrender. How do I live a surrendered life? What does that look like? Is where you are today doesn't need to be where you are tomorrow. So the question for today is, are you teachable? Maybe the best thing you can do is to download the Bible app, um, and start a reading plan. And then bring somebody else in on that. Maybe you can connect, you know, you connect with other people on the Bible app, people that you know, who can kind of keep you accountable and you can ask questions of one another. 
And if you're like, ah, oh, no, the whole technology thing, well, take the Bible off your shelf, blow the dust off, and start reading it. I suggest start reading with Matthew, since that's where we've been today. Um, when you don't understand it, ask God for clarity. Just, just slow down a little bit. Ask for clarity. Maybe read it again. Ask for wisdom. When you don't understand, find someone who can truly, that you can truly be open with, get some input, and take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. When that characterizes you, God takes notice of that. And the Holy Spirit realizes, oh, you're open, you're listening, I can work with that. And he goes to work in us. Just remember, I want you to be hopeful. I don't want you to remember that where you are today doesn't need to be where you are tomorrow. Listen to this.